Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. As Chicago public school students return to class today, at Sullivan High School in Rogers Park on Chicago's north side, more than 40 languages are spoken, and students hail from over 50 countries. As world events force residents to leave their home countries and flee to America for safety, the school's population demographics tend to change. Ellie Fishman first reported on Sullivan back in 2017 for Chicago Magazine. But there was a larger story to tell. Her article evolved into a book that's out now. It's called Refugee High, Coming of Age in America. In a few moments, we'll hear from both a former student and an educator at Sullivan. And for Ellie Fishman, her journey through the lives of refugee students started at a time of heightened fear for kids like them. It was shortly after Donald Trump was inaugurated and he had announced a travel ban from seven majority Muslim countries. And I had attended a protest at O'Hare Airport where thousands of people gathered to protest these draconian new executive orders. And I wondered, who are these refugees landing in Chicago and what community do they enter? What community do they build? And I've always been interested in stories of young people. So I looked for their schools, and I was quickly pointed towards Sullivan in Rogers Park Mm -hmm. on the northeast side of the city. And the first time I walked into the building, I was completely in awe. There are 40 languages spoken at Sullivan, so it was this wall of incredible sounds from Rohingya to Arabic to Swahili and Spanish, and the walls are covered in flags from around the globe, and there are fashions from around the globe young women wearing hijabs with high tops, colors from every flag you can imagine. And it was just this incredible scene. And I thought, there's definitely a story here and I want to figure out what it is. Yeah. And I bet from what you've just described, this immediately struck you as different from every other CPS school. Yes. I grew up in Chicago. I went to high school in Chicago. I've reported out of schools for many years And I had never stepped into a school like Sullivan before. So that was a really amazing moment for me. My husband actually grew up a block away from Sullivan. You can see one of the corners of the school from his family's backyard. And I had no idea that the school was there. It was right under my nose for years. So it was this incredible discovery. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if I didn't know the school was here and these stories were happening under my nose, there must be so many people like me, who are unfamiliar with the story of Sullivan. And that was great motivation to want to tell this story and and also figure out what the story was. Well, I love the way that you bring about the story in the book. You you focus on four kids at the school. You kind of later reveal their backstories. You write the story in a way that allows us to get to know them first as individuals, right, before we learn about the troubles and the burdens that they're carrying. Why was that important to you, Ellie? 
Well, I always wanted to tell a story that felt layered and nuanced, and I wanted to understand who these young people were that day at school. Before I ever even sat down to talk to them about their flight or their trauma or the difficult things that they had experienced, I wanted to know who they were at school, who they were as teenagers, what TikTok videos they were watching, although it was more <laughs> Snapchat back in 2018, right. um, what music they were listening to, what was the latest gossip, who did they have crushes on. And that felt really important because so many of the stories we read about refugees really do focus on trauma. And I wanted to tell a story that focused on resilience and also how multifaceted these young people are and how much hope there is in their journeys and in their stories. And while trauma is part of what they carry and how they move through the world, and it's an incredibly important element in their lives, mm -hmm. it doesn't define them. And when you walk into the halls of Sullivan, what you see first are teenagers and teenagers doing teenager things, yeah. <laughs> being silly, playing pranks, yelling, laughing, dancing. And that's where I wanted to put my focus because those were the people I were encountering when I walked into the school. I want to turn now to someone who knows what you're describing all too well, right? After leaving Syria and then Jordan... Al Ibrahim and his family settled here in Chicago's Rogers Park neighborhood back in 2016. Al's now a Sullivan High graduate. He just started his third year at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and he joins me now. Hi, Al. Welcome to Reset. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Al, as I mentioned, you grew up in Syria in a small village. Tell us what that was like. Well, it wasn't perfect. We weren't by any means rich, but uh, we were building our house. We were, uh, you know, making a living for ourselves. We were, you know, pursuing happiness, and then uh, the uprising happened, which later led to the civil war. It took a little bit of time before we reached our village, uh, being uh, that far from the city and everything that was happening. But I eventually did, and uh, we had to leave, uh, settle in Jordan for a while. What brought you specifically to Chicago? Uh, so in Jordan, it wasn't exactly a much better living situation than Syria. There were no bombshells. There were no, you know, soldiers trying to kill us. But uh Education uh, for us Syrian uh, refugees was next to impossible, higher education. Mm -hmm. My father uh, worked in Kuwait, but he fell sick. And for a while, he decided that he wants to retire and make us, my, my brother and I, 12 and 14 at the time. He was going to make us quit school and work, provide for the family. Of course, my mom absolutely refused. <laughs> and a little while after, um, we almost didn't have a choice because my dad died. That was in early 2016. But we had already started the process of moving to Chicago, and then we traveled in uh, late 2016. Uh, there's also the stress of moving to a new school, and now there's the stress of moving to a new school in an entirely different continent. Right. That's that's uh, a huge yeah. change. Uh, and as yeah, you mentioned, true. you didn't well, speak English. Yeah. You mm -hmm. didn't speak English. And then so remember that day when you first got to Sullivan? What was that like? Yeah. That was actually so not what I expected. I expected to be you know, the only non-American kid at the school, but to my surprise, it was incredibly diverse. And I was approached by someone who spoke Arabic, which was uh, very shocking to me. Wow. As a, yeah, I was adopted by the group friend that all spoke Arabic. It was very familiar. It helped me um, you know, transition. Well, I want to pull another voice into this conversation, Al. Sarah Quintez is the director of the English Language Department at Sullivan High School, someone you know, of course. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sarah, you were there when Al first came to the school. Tell us what you remember about him. 
I was there, as were the incredible teachers that I work with. I have an amazing team, a very supportive administration, and it's really an honor to be representing them. You know, when Al first started, he carried himself very confidently. He walked into that building. He's very tall, uh, but he walked into that building like he knew exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to hear that he was so nervous because that's not the impression that I got. You lead the English language department there. And and as we mentioned, over 40 languages spoken throughout the school, Arabic, English, Swahili, Spanish. These are the four most spoken languages at at Sullivan. Um, I know that your nickname at the school is Google Translate, right? Tell us a bit more about what communication actually looks like at Sullivan. Yeah, we're fortunate enough that most students have a language partner or a language group, like how Al was describing with the Arabic group that kind of adopted him. So we very rarely have a new student come to Sullivan where we don't have that language represented. We always set up any new enrollees with current students who speak that language. So even if they're not going to graduate as friends, they at least know someone first when they get there. And as far as how we communicate, a lot of Google Translate, a lot of charades, a lot of nonverbal cues, a lot of laughter, some tears, some hugs. Mm -hmm. We're just extremely supportive and do whatever we can to get the message across that we're a family and we are part of their new family here in America, and we're here to help them in any way possible. Ellie, how did you navigate throughout this process with the language barrier as you were talking to the students and their families? Well, from a practical and pragmatic point of view, I focused on kids who I could communicate with inside the school, because in the book, I follow four different students, one from Guatemala, one from Iraq, one from the Congo, and one from Myanmar. So if I couldn't communicate with them, even on a somewhat basic level, I would require a fleet of translators with me at all times. And that felt really intrusive, not to mention expensive from a financial perspective. So not only was I looking for students who were excited about this project, that was really important to me, and I really took my time and tried to be thoughtful about identifying students to write about and to build relationships with, but I also focused on students who I, who I could communicate with because I really wanted to have relationships with them, and I wanted them to feel like they had agency in this process, and they could understand what I was doing and what the final goal was, which is this book, Refugee High. But when it came to working with their families, and I did visit their families and their homes, I did often need translators, and one of the really amazing things about that experience was many of the translators themselves came to Chicago as refugees and had their own incredible stories and were excited to meet these younger refugees, these families, to connect with them and connect them to the Chicago community, and I got to really get to know these translators and build special relationships with them, too, and they're all incredible people who are doing amazing things in Chicago now. Al, what lessons do you take away from your experience at Sullivan? Well, uh, if you allow me before that, I would like to add a couple of things on uh, Ms. Contenset. Sure. So about the language barrier, uh, when I first went there, I was adopted by a few uh, Arab-speaking students. But by the time I graduated, uh, most of my friends were non-Arabic-speaking kids. So uh, I barely had any Arab friends, and uh, I don't think any other school would have uh, allowed this transition. 
other than Selva. Yeah. Also, I'd like to uh, talk about my uh, social worker, uh, Mr. Jar Cepeda. He was very helpful. I, he was kind of my uh, my unpaid therapist, and he later grew to be my mentor. I still talk to him even uh, today. Also, a lot, uh, so many schools, in my experience, like to claim to be you know a second home or a family, but Selvin actually delivers to that. And as uh, many people know, Miss uh, Miss Quintens, we uh, we always call her mom. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Everyone likes to talk about Sullivan High School being a family. Like Al said, we actually are. And I would like to shout out Al's mom, who is here at my house right now watching my three children so that I can speak to you today. Oh, wow. Al's mom. Well, thank you, Al's mom. <laughs> yeah. What are you studying at, in college now, Al? And what do you hope to do in the future? So right now, I'm the pre-med math. Uh, I'm majoring in biology and hoping to be uh, a surgeon in the future, hopefully. Oh, nice. Sarah, do you have an idea of the current immigrant population at Sullivan? I don't. Like Ellie was saying, our enrollment and student body and demographics reflect whatever is happening around the world. When I was first hired by Sullivan in 2012, the vast majority of our EL program spoke Nepali. And then we moved more into Swahili, and then now it's all Arabic. You know, with Trump closing the borders and not allowing refugees in, our enrollment plummeted. And we're looking forward to see what the Biden administration allows in and how is that going to change and evolve and grow our program. Hopefully, we will see a number of new enrollees, but we won't know until school gets started and students start coming in. Well, well tell us more about that, Sarah, how world events shape what your department does and how it responds. Because I know, of course... Now we are closely following this news out of Afghanistan and expecting thousands of refugees to be coming to the U.S., including here in Chicago. Sure. You know, it's interesting that you ask about how do we address different populations, because we absolutely do. You know, when I was first hired, Ramadan wasn't as much of an issue, quote unquote, as it is now. We have a huge student body that celebrates Ramadan, and we send out messages yearly, hey, it's Ramadan, and we need to be respectful of the kids, and they might be a little more tired and hungry and crabbier than usual, and we open the library so they can come in to the library during their lunch period instead of sitting in the cafeteria watching everyone else eat. We're not required to do so, but we do provide a space for the students to pray during the day with adult supervision, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as what do we do to address our new population, it's not like we have to change everything if we have new students coming in. We, no matter what, are offering gently used clothes in the library. And we have a partnership with a food group that uh, brings in produce from Imperfect Produce every week to students who need food. We partner with them. We work very closely with the refugee agencies throughout the year to keep in touch about what they need and their families and how can we help uh, we provide, of course, tutoring and social work services. We're the only school in Chicago that has a dedicated social worker that strictly works with refugee and immigrant students. And no matter who we have in front of us, we're going to keep teaching them about life in America, how to stay safe on the streets, how to get a driver's license and car insurance, yeah. how to shake hands, look someone in the eye, be proud, stand tall and just learn about your new culture, your new country, and how to integrate yourself into our world without completely getting rid of everything that they came from. You know, as you hear about this transition, Ellie, that Sarah is describing, it's hard to forget the life that these students were fleeing, right? A lot of them fleeing gangs, 
fleeing wars. How did you grapple with their personal stories as you were hearing them? Well, it's really hard to listen to anyone share trying, difficult moments from their lives. And as a writer, I've always wanted to share stories that I feel like people need to hear. And I feel like it's a real privilege that I have a platform and I'm able to do that. But part of that work is also sitting down and listening to some really harrowing, heartbreaking stories. And they stick with you. You know, the stories I heard inside the walls at Sullivan and in people's homes, they're in my marrow now. Like I carry them with me now and I will forever. But in many ways, I'm so grateful for that because it makes me a more empathetic person. It makes me understand my community better. And it allows me to then share those stories with others. And that's why I do this work. That's why I'm a journalist. That's why I wrote this book, because I feel like these are the stories that need to be heard. These young people are so incredible. And so are the adults working with them inside Sullivan, too, like Sarah. They're complex and they're messy and they're wonderful and they're deeply, deeply human as we all are. But the other thing that I loved about reporting inside Sullivan is that you get to see them as teenagers. You get to see them make all the mistakes teenagers make, make the mistakes I made as a teenager. You get to see them make great decisions, make terrible decisions, have fun, feel sad, experience heartbreak for the first time, listen to music. Memorize the lyrics to Justin Bieber. <laughs> so many Justin Bieber songs. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, that and, was that was the uh, time, wasn't I it? I really <laughs> I really love that. And that mm. I also carry those memories and those experiences with me too. So what did you learn about yourself in the process? I learned that there's always more to learn about your community and your city. I grew up in Chicago. I spent most of my life in Chicago. And yet there are these whole neighborhoods and corners of the city that I never knew we're there, and I feel so lucky that this job allows me to find them and to experience them and to build these relationships. And I also learned that these are the new Americans. These are the next generation. These kids are going to be an incredible generation of Americans who are multilingual, who are multifaceted, who are going to go on and do incredible things like Al, who's going to be a surgeon. And I was actually thinking about Al because I saw him a lot inside the building. And one of the memories that I keep are is walking into the library and seeing him tutor a group of Congolese boys in math. And he would just sit there for as long as it took to walk them through, whether it was algebra or geometry. My husband's a mathematician, so he won't like that I don't necessarily know the difference when I'm looking at a worksheet. But... <laughs> Whatever it was that they were working on that day, I was there and so patiently helping them. And it was just one of the most beautiful things you, I, I had seen and you can see inside a school. And it made me think, we're so lucky to have these young people here. And we're going to be, we are a better country because they're here. And then the other thing I was going to say, Ellie, is that um, I'd like to think that you learned um, that you can take a licking because the teachers really put her through the ringer. As as <laughs> yeah, that's also true. <laughs> you know, Sarah we were, put me through we it. <laughs> we were really ruthless about you better tell this story right and not mess with us and not mess with our kids. They have powerful stories to tell and they are very strong in character and you are not going to paint them as victims or weak or you know, what is entertaining to you is actually our real lives. 
and don't fictionalize it. Don't trivialize it. And we were so harsh on Ellie in the beginning of, you know, what exactly are your intentions? Yes, I was I was put through the ringer. I, w- I will say that. But I appreciated it because it showed me how much they care about their students. And it it confirmed that I was in the right place and I was telling the right story. And it, Even it, though those meetings were intimidating. <laughs> what a wonderful experience. Definitely worthy of a book. That is Ellie Fishman. She is author of the new book, Refugee High, Coming of Age in America. It is out now wherever books are sold. And then we've also been speaking with Sarah Quintens. She is the English language department lead at Sullivan High School and Al Ibrahim, a graduate of Sullivan High and now a third-year college student. Thank you all for sharing your stories. Thank you for having us. And that's today's Reset. For more of our interviews, subscribe to this podcast and give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for joining, and we'll see you back here soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.